we've got uh, sober citizens together. Uh, all of us look sober, and all of us look like senior citizens. So, uh, I'm Gene Sell. I am an alcoholic and a former abuser of a number of other drugs. Hi, everybody. It's good to be here. And, uh, you know, I guess since this is a, an AA meeting of this special group, we'll open the meeting with a moment of silence for meditation or prayer as you wish. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for a membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. It neither endorses nor opposes any causes, does not wish to engage in any controversy. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Um, I don't know what the protocol is here. I guess an AA meeting. I guess we just kind of share... Uh, I'll do my little thing. I notice I've got a couple of co-chairmen for this meeting, Bill and and Harry. Well, uh, you know, they wouldn't tell me what to do. And, you know, when I've talked before, I noticed Bland just walked in. And, and uh, you know, in the past I've talked about my romancing. And uh, so with this group, I guess we could... Uh, uh, kind of skip that part of it, released uh, uh, maybe that's the part we should talk about since we don't, uh, well, I better stay out of that, stay off of that subject, but I am never really, I've always wanted to be a nice person, and I still feel guilty because I haven't been able to make it, you know, (laughs) I guess that's the reason God's let me live long to try to try to practice some more, but uh, I certainly feel that I've, or at least uh, the police think I'm doing a lot better job than I used to. Uh, I haven't been in jail now in over 27 years, and uh, that's really something for me. And I've still get a few traffic tickets once in a while, and I've been thinking about trying to drive speed limit, but. Uh, I really, there was no drinking in the home I was raised in, and uh, I didn't know it, but I've figured out through the years as I've worked in, in uh, substance abuse and become a little more acquainted, uh, become a little more convinced that this thing is a familial illness. There are some uh, constitutional factors that are genetically transmitted. I've been taking histories a long time, and of course been convinced of this long time, but the evidence seems to continue to mount up that uh, that's true. <clears throat> My father apparently tried it when he was a teenager. Uh, he had left home in southern Arkansas, was in logging camp in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, got homesick, told the other guys about it, and they said, oh, just go up to the saloon, get a pint and drink it. That'll cure homesickness. And he returned and fell in the beans at 
the chow hall and went outside and passed out in the edge of the mountain stream and woke up almost froze and uh, that he was wasn't quite so slow bright as I have been but he didn't drink anymore on his deathbed he had Parkinsonism and the medicine wasn't working too well the neighbors taught my mother and the notion of giving him uh, some a jigger of whiskey and my older brother was there at the time and said that you know he had never been aggressive to my mother but uh, after she gave him that jigger of whiskey he couldn't get out of bed but every time she'd get close to the bed he'd grit his teeth and hit at her and apparently I became I took took after him because when I drank I became aggressive and uh, pretty complete character change and of course it was not that's that's I guess as far as I know that's the only time he ever drank but Alcohol just doesn't mix with a sea of blood. We just don't do well with it, but I tried harder. I kept at it for 23 years, kept trying to learn how. In fact, the business, there could have been something wrong with me, actually, before I started drinking, because the doctor that I started working for when I started in pre-med uh, told me one time, I was, I've always had a tendency to female trouble, and I was kind of sweet on the little co-ed and he said uh, you can't even support yourself you'll never make a doctor uh, go get drunk and forget about her and I did half of that or at least uh, I went to my brother's place and he had a little booze and we went out and eat and drank very little but I got awfully high and then the next morning I was kind of down depressed and uh, but I like so many uh, tried it again and next time since my body was allergic to the stuff or at least uh, poison to me my body rejected it and I vomited if the next uh, three or four times I drank and then my tolerance started going up and along with that some of the welcome effects and then uh, so I kept trying to adjust the amount and so I spent 23 more years trying to adjust the amount and the circumstances and I'd add, uh, you know, got, uh, started adding some pills to it. You know, it seemed like when I'd, I started in medical school, uh, you could buy a 10 milligram benzodrine sulfate tablet over at the local drugstore for a nickel. Give him a nickel and he'd hand you one of them little white tablets and scored four ways. And, so I'd take a quarter of those and I could study all night and remember a lot of what I went over and <clears throat> since I diagnosed myself after that as having narcolepsy so I took quite a bit of that and then drank and later years as my tolerance went up for booze I would take the um, I guess I got where I did I didn't drink whiskey and beer I just uh, get me a case of fists of 190 proof Everclear and and then a bushel of grapefruit and put it in the turtle of the car and I would uh, pour some in a glass and little squeeze grapefruit stir it with my finger toss it down on those bennies and and I'd get the show on the road and but then of course that caused a lot of problems and, but this uh, the process 
what amazes me is the the amount of trouble I had, the jails and the uh, the shame that I felt after some of these altercations that I would have, and uh, how I could could deny or never could. You know, I was introduced to A thirteen years before I finally accepted that, that I once I took the first drink. I couldn't consistently control the amount I drank. Under the influence of alcohol, these tragic things kept happening, and it was 13 years after being introduced to AA before I took the first step. I haven't had a drink since I took it. Once I accepted the truth, that the truth in my case really did set me free, and I really not wanted to drink. I can remember the welcome effects of alcohol, you know, I remember that <clears throat> tingling of the finger, the little numbness in the lip, and that very relaxed feeling that you'd get for a moment. And then, of course, it was always followed by this restlessness uh, and the need for more. But uh, it amazes me. I can't figure out why I couldn't, after all those things, and a lot of them was pretty bad, that... Uh, completely against uh, the things that I believed in and had been taught. And, uh, but I gradually seemed to, to get away more and more <clears throat> from the things I'd been taught growing up. And, uh, you know, I really, of course, my life had become so disordered that the public just quit putting up with it and I lost my license. So, uh, then, of course, I guess that, you know, enough pain and I finally, enough, the seed had been planted years ago, but I finally accepted the truth that it was six months then before I started AA. Then after, <clears throat> you know, Dr. Roundtree, who had been, I was, I was sent to him. He had been to one of these IDAA meetings way back, the first one I made was 1969 at Morristown. Dr. Roundtree had been to one or two before that, but the Texas State Board sent me to him. He was opening, they'd tell me about this place, Starlight, he was opening, and of course I went down and reluctantly and uh, shared with him and a little, I just threw out one of my stories to see how it grabbed him, and and he told one bigger on himself, and, and uh, I weighed Paul and told him another one and he told another one bigger than mine and so we kind of broke the ice that way over a period of time and he gave me a, his autobiography and <clears throat> the Texas State Board had written a little note on the fly page of it said that even though they'd had to take his license away that uh, his uh, life after that after he found God, as they put it, that had been an inspiration to them. Well, he was talking AA to me all the time. I said, I knew that if he, if I could just convince him that I was a good AA man, he'd go to board with me and I'd get my license back. And, you know, it worked. Uh, I, but I didn't want to go to AA. I had gone down there drinking and taking my pills and they'd say such things to me as, Doc, why don't you come down here sober sometime? You might like it. And, and uh, 
So I really wasn't, I just wasn't ready. And, but after I got my license back, and then ever since then I've been trying to embrace these simple principles. I, I got sober on the first step, and I suppose that maybe the reason I'm still so slow at this new way of life, and I realize from, you know, not so much the way I feel, but from looking at some of you, it's getting pretty late, and I better get on the ball, you know, <laughs> and do something about this, learning this new way of life. I'm 72, and and I really, though, have began to to realize that that there really is something better than... Uh, than what I've experienced in the past. I'm, I think I really have become, maybe it's circumstances or better, but I, I feel certainly have no difficulty now. I got very depressed about the second and third steps. Uh, how can you make yourself believe something you don't believe? And I don't, I don't have any trouble with that now. I've, ga I've gathered from you people that all I need to do is to start doing the things that's suggested and uh, as I do these and I'm still kind of reluctant but I I catch myself getting wound up and, and getting really pretty anxious kind of like the way I felt before I went before the board Dr. Roundtree told me to pray for the I've been thinking ill things about the board because I got to counting up how much money it cost me to be without a license and and what they, you know, maybe I just tell them what I thought about them, or, or maybe I just glare at them when they're in their presence, or maybe just spit on them, or maybe slap them a bit, or hit them on the fist, or poke a knife in the gut, or shoot them, or maybe get a machine gun and mow the whole bunch down. I didn't. Then I realized that anywhere along that line, I was, I was a loser. I could not accomplish what I set out to accomplish. And Dr. Roundsey said, ask God's blessings on the Texas State Board of Medical Examiner. And, uh, you know, I thought I'd done all this sorry stuff. I didn't want to add being a hypocrite to it, so I didn't want to do that. It, just before I went before, I realized that I was completely powerless, that I could, they were the only group that I could get my license from. And there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. Any kind of a sour look or any negative thing would just, I wouldn't have a license. And I didn't think I could control that way I looked and acted, so I began to ask God blessings on the Texas State Board of Medical Examiners. And I seemed to feel a little less anxious. So I'd say it, every time I'd feel anxious, I'd say it and I'd feel better. And so I just kept saying it until I went before them and they asked me how long it had been since I had a drink and said I haven't had a drink since January the 18th, 1961. This was on November the 28th, 1961 that the meeting was held. And, you know, they asked me a couple of other questions and I answered them simply and directly for the first time. Always before when they'd asked me a question, I would be afraid they would misunderstand and so just to 
I would start explaining what led up to and then forget what the question was and I, I realized that that wasn't making a very good impression to this sensible group of people but I couldn't seem to help it and uh, so uh, you know after about the third question they smiled at me and told me they'd see me and then they let me know and I stepped outside and Dr. Crabb then <clears throat> was head of the board and he followed me out I used to call him that old crabby son of a bitch, and he was pretty crabby, and he didn't, I guarantee you, they didn't intend for me to ever practice medicine again. Uh, they had used three words when they took my license away, canceled, revoked, and suspended. That all means you ain't got no license. But uh, he walked out in the hall behind me, and he had a tear on his cheek, and he said uh, that what they'd done in there they hoped was for my benefit and that's all they said and so I thanked him and went on my way and I got my license back and uh, so I started you'd think that I'd have been every time I felt upset I'd been praying for anyone I was upset at ever since but you know I'm still pretty reluctant you know now Bland taught me a lesson and you know she and I used to not always be as harmonious as we are today, but then uh, uh, I said, God, you look after her. I can't do anything with her. And then, you know, pretty soon, while well, he started uh, improving on my work, and I had more time left for myself, and so we have a wonderful life together now. I realize there's a lot of people in here that uh, got some things I'd like to hear from, and I've got a couple of co-chairmen I'm going uh, to turn this thing over to but uh, I certainly have found that along these lines just to, to the extent that I'm willing to surrender and just get up and report the duty and take credit for effort and leave the results up to God as I understand him I get along pretty good and I really am tremendously grateful for the opportunity to uh, to continue to have good health and to to be as productive as I am so far and and to be able to come to these meetings and share with you people this has been a tremendously good good weekend for me so far and I'm sure it'll continue I would like to just do my part here and I could Bill's the one that started me you know I finally come to uh Marstown, and I was fortunate enough to go to Bill's house, and here was Bill and Lois. I had always hoped that sometime before he died, I'd get a chance to meet him. I figured he'd be at the podium, and I might get a chance to shake his hand, get in line, shake his hand, but right there at Bill's home, I, I noticed he's having time to eat, so I just, typical of me, they said, uh, uh, fellow named Larry Leach said, Gene, I want you to meet Ms. Wilson. And I turned and met this little old lady and, and turned away. And then I saw Bill right in front of me, you know, and I recognized his picture, recognized him from his picture in AA Club. And so I turned around, got all excited, and met Lois again, and then was introduced to Bill. And about that time, they, the buffet started, and I carefully got in behind them and we 
Bill and Lois and Lee Claire and I sat at the table and I told Bill I was referring a, a I mean street drug addict, street narcotic addicts, AA uh, at that time was directing the substance abuse program uh, at San Antonio State Hospital. I said, what do you think about it? And very carefully with a considerate answer he said well he kind of thought they ought to have their own so I quickly changed the subject to megavitamins and and, uh, and uh, of course I've been sending narcotic addicts to AA ever since I didn't but I was very fortunate to uh, have that opportunity this was in August of 1969 at this August meeting and uh, you know Bill and I've been you know been a tremendous friend to me ever since that time, and I would like to call on Bill now. Yeah, thank you. Bill, and I'm an alcoholic. Gee, I'm sorry to hear you're a hypocrite too, Jimmy. God. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here. Uh, today I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story, and I'm mainly going to interest uh, tell you how AA members have helped me get sober and stay well and why I keep coming to meetings because I keep coming to meetings because I learn something at every meeting like that you're a hypocrite today and I, I learn something from everybody that speaks uh, I, I get a new idea and help from every meeting that I go to and I'm still growing. I hope to get better as time goes on. Uh, and I hope to keep going. Uh, I'll briefly tell you my story. Uh, I was born in a good Christian family in North Carolina, <laughs> which most of you were born in, uh, good Christian families. There wasn't any alcohol in my family. Uh, and I do not... Uh, believe that I had anything wrong with my childhood or any predisposing factors in my disease. Uh, I had a perfectly normal childhood. I went to college and did what you're supposed to do, study, and I did athletics. Uh, I went to medical school and I had my first drink there. And uh, I'll tell you, the drink did something for me. <laughs> it, uh, it sharpened me up, uh, made me more interesting, and I could even dance. Uh, after I'd had a drink. And I can remember in uh, medical school standing on a table in the Topley Copley Plaza Hotel in Boston singing Dixie. And I thought that was perfectly normal behavior. <laughs> uh, my ideal in medical school was a professor of surgery, Elliot Cutler. And uh, we used, he used to drink with us. And uh, he told me one night, he said, you know, he called us by our first name. He said, Bill, said, I work too hard, I exercise too hard, and I play too hard. And I said to myself, that's for me. <laughs> because this was just one of the sharpest surgeons around. He was a great athlete and a tremendous guy. And I said, well, that's just what I want to do. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, I worked my tail off. I drank very little, except Saturday nights. The funny thing about my drinking, the older you get, you know, the more you look back on that early drinking of yours. 
And mine was alcoholic from the start. Uh, I never drank one or two, and I was generally the first one at the party and the last one to leave. I was also the first one up in the morning and always on time, and I did my work. Uh, I was pretty strong physically. Uh, as I didn't, in, uh, in medical school, learn that this was an addictive drug, and I didn't learn that you could have a good time without drinking. Gradually, I began to relate drinking to good time and that I deserved it. And I thought it was perfectly normal behavior. I did go through two pyramids and was always the top pick, uh, not because I was the smartest, but because I was a compulsive worker. I was there. I did the work. And I did have good hands. Uh, every surgeon admits that, you know. We have our, still have our ego about us. Uh, no matter how many meetings we go to. Uh, by 1960, I was sitting on top of the world in New York. I had written many papers. I was in a radical surgical service at Memorial. I was the number two man there. I was in the OR doing good work, and I thought, gee, nothing could happen to me. I was the heir apparent to be the chief there. Uh, two years later, I was 50 pounds heavier walking up and down 2nd Avenue from bar to bar, uh, having lost my job, uh, having lost my wife, uh, and not giving a damn. <laughs> That's just what happened to me, uh, all because of alcohol. Uh, my wife died, and I had a little Tennessee Williams time there for a year or two. Uh, it was pretty tough going for me, having lost my reputation, uh, little or no money, uh, I did meet a girl who, why the hell she married me, I don't know. She didn't realize I was alcoholic. I married Stella. And somehow or other, things turned around then. Stella found out I was alcoholic after she married me, got me to a meeting, and uh, it was through her help that I did get sober. Uh, she went to many meetings with me. I went four or five or six times a week. In the beginning, I always went to the meetings drunk. But as time went on, I began to associate with the winners, and uh, I did get better. I was up at some of the people that helped me. I'll have to mention this, because uh, the more I mention it, the more I remember. Uh, my first uh, tour of recovery was with Mrs. Delaney at Alina Lodge. Uh, this old battle axe and I were at each other's throat from the first day that we met. And we were out at each other's throat just about a month ago. But we still love each other. Uh, and she, uh, she uh, told me, said, this is a threefold disease. This is a, a spiritual disease, it's a mental disease, and a physical disease. And I thought, well, what the hell does she know about it? You know, she's just... And I didn't believe that at that time. Uh, I have later found out that it is a threefold disease, and we have to treat all three things. Her husband there, Tom Delaney, said that there was no one hopeless. Uh, and there was no alcoholic that was hopeless. And at that time, I thought I was hopeless. I did not see any hope for me. And by gosh, uh, he said that. It gave me some hope. Next, my next sponsor was Jack McGarry, who I thought should have been sent away to the Looney House himself, committed. 
But he helped me a lot. Uh, he, uh, he taught me to stop trying to overshoot, to quit trying to be the best in everything I did. He said, do the two-inch high jump. <laughs> he said, that's about all you can do now. I would worry about the income tax, man. I owed a hell of a lot of back taxes. God, every time I'd think about it, I'd drink. And uh, he'd say, are they going to take your house away today? Nope. Are they going to stick you in jail today? Nope. Do you have any food in the house? I said, yes. He said, well, what the hell are you worrying about? Uh, he gave me the day at a time thing. Uh, all of these things came very slowly to me, even though I was still doing very radical surgery. I mean, really as radical as anyone around was doing. Pelvic exoneration, ureters, this, arterial transplants, you name it, I was doing it. And I could do it, but I couldn't uh, understand what this was all about. <laughs> I didn't. I couldn't understand what AA was all about, man, even though I'd been in a couple of years. We, uh, 1965, I found some other doctors in New Jersey. My wife saw that I wasn't getting so much help in regular AA, so we rounded up a veterinarian, a podiatrist, one other MD, and a dentist. They were the only doctors that we could find in the whole state of New Jersey in 1965. Now we can name well over 400 who have recovered in the state and who are not ashamed of it. But we had these five. Well, uh, the meetings then were very good. There were just five of us. And I learned a lot from all of these members. The, the least educated one in the group was a podiatrist. Uh, he was the happiest one in the group. And he exercised all the time. This SOB would go to the Y every day and exercise, and God, he'd come into the meetings happy as hell. So I got back to the exercise routine because of him. Uh, I started exercising every day, and it made a difference. And I've exercised every day since then, and I think it's very important. The other one that helped me in the group was a veterinarian, Doc Mills, who many of you remember. Uh, he was a philosopher. Uh, he taught me that AA was for people who didn't drink. <laughs> I couldn't quite understand that. Uh, he said, it's for people who didn't drink. And after I'd been sober for about three or four months, I told him, I said, well, I've graduated. I don't have to go to any more meetings. He said, hell. He said, you've just got 2%. <laughs> you have to keep coming and learn how to live. Uh, and he said, if you keep coming, you'll either be a teacher or a student. And what you want to be is a student, not a teacher. But he said, you learn from the teachers because they're the ones that are still drinking. <laughs> They'll be your teachers. And, uh, of course, this is what I get out of the meetings now. I, I learn from those that are still drinking and those who are not drinking. Uh, Mills also said that the third step is very simple. I couldn't quite get the God business. He says, all you have to do is live by God's will, or why don't you just try and be a good guy for a change? Uh, so this is very simple. Then we had a dentist in the group, Al Suget, who I haven't seen at this meeting. Uh, 
I saw him just shortly recently. He's still sober. He uh, said, well, when I got in, I couldn't understand the guy bit. He said, my sponsor told me to use a lamp post as a higher power. <laughs> and he said, that's what I did for quite a while. And he says, finally, uh, I, I do have a higher power now, and things are much better for me. Uh, he also said another thing. He said, you'll get a lot better if you drop the word blame from your vocabulary. You remember certain things that people tell you, and uh, I still remember that now. I don't use blame uh, on anything now. I'm not little Miss Goody Two-Shoes, but I do try to remember some of these things that these good old boys taught me. And in turn, I did help old Al. Uh, I think I saved Al's life. Uh, uh, he was a chain smoker, and uh, he'd been sober 15 years, and I looked him in the eye one day, trying not to laugh, and said, Al, you aren't sober yet. You're still smoking. <laughs> he got so damn mad that he, he just nearly boiled over. He wouldn't speak to me for a while, but he did quit smoking. <laughs> and uh, there he is now. Uh, Jack Forbes was another one that helped me. He said, if you don't believe in prayer, get on your knees and pray and it'll help you. Jack finally blew his brains out, but he helped me. He helped a lot of people. And I remember what he said. When things are really tough and you don't know what to do, say a little prayer. Cyril helped me. Cyril died of uh, colon cancer. Cyril was a, just a terrific guy. He said that you need to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Always have empathy, which I hadn't had. He said, before you're critical of somebody or find fault with them, see what they're thinking about. Put yourself in their shoes. Cyril, incidentally, right before he died, I went to see him, and he was a tiny fellow, and he was down to about 80 pounds. And he called me over and said, Bill, i got something I want to tell you. Jesus, I went over and I leaned over to Cyril. And Cyril said, Bill, I just have one thing I want you to know. I said, what's that, Cyril? He said, you make the damn worst coffee I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> so, really, when an AA member is near death, they still have a sense of humor. And he died a few weeks later. Carney helped me. Uh, Kearney helped me a lot about a couple of little things. Kearney said, you know, he said, my wife does the craziest damn things and I don't agree with a lot of the things she does. She wants this black and this chair over here and she wants to do this and these are all little things that I don't agree with. But he said, you know what? I've found out that if I go along with her, things are pretty good. He said, it doesn't make any difference, really, about disagreeing over something small or a little small detail. He said, I go along, and that's what I do. Uh, I go along. I don't agree with everything that Stella wants or we, everything that she picks out, but I go along with it because it doesn't make any difference. I don't really care about details anymore. I go along with it. Uh, I remember Bill Wilson back in 69. Uh, in 69, uh, we had Bill Wilson out to Morristown, and I fortunately 
got to know him. Not too well, but I went up to his office a few times and talked to him. And at that time, uh, I was under pretty severe criticism from some older members in this particular group, some of them who are here at this meeting. And they were calling me a promoter. And uh, one of them called me a promoter once. He said, what the hell you mean calling up these doctors? I said, well, if they're drunks, they need help. I call them up. Uh, I said, how many people you got in your group? He said, I haven't got any. I said, well, we got 25. Go home and call some up. Uh, uh, Bill Wilson told me, he said, well, he said, you aren't promoting. He said, anything you can do to help somebody else get sober, you do it. And it doesn't matter. He says, you do it, go out of your way, because this is an illness, and when they're sick, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And he said, get them before they hit the bottom, because the bottom is very often death, uh, which I believe. I believe it is. And uh, I fault myself, too, many times. We've had several fellows kill themselves in our group. And most of the times, they quit coming to the meetings. And most of the times, we forgot to call them. <laughs> most of the times, they were alone. And I think sometimes a call could have helped. And uh, I do believe that when somebody stops coming, uh, that they deserve a call. That's all. Uh, as I say, I was riding along pretty good. In 1980, I decided to take the boards again because I was getting older. And uh, I figured that some of the hospitals would want to knock me off the staff if I hadn't done the boards again. So I got busy again uh, going to more committee meetings and getting to be just like the person that I was that came into AA a compulsive worker who put his work first and his sobriety second. Uh, I did a very big surgery one day, uh, eight, nine hours, and I, I was very upset because I'd had poor health that day, and God, I wondered if I should have even done the case. And I was in New York alone. Uh, my wife, my watchdog was in Morristown, and I walked down the street, and walked by a bar that I used to drink in, and there was the same damn bartender that was there that I used to drink with years before. I walked in, he shook my hand, and I had a marvelous five minutes. <laughs> uh, two weeks later, I was making rounds with a pint of vodka in my, in my car. Uh, the day after that, I was on the plane to Gene Seal's place. Uh, Thank God I've married to a girl who cares for me and who didn't uh, willy-walla. She just said, you go. She got the ticket farming, called him up. Uh, I went back and went back to the basics, uh, which is good for you. I learned from Seal that you, uh, you turn this around and make it work for you. Uh, in a way, uh, my slip was very good for me. It woke me up. It let me know that the man that I was will drink again. And I can't be the man that I was. Uh, since then, I've had two other very short slips, uh, which didn't last long, thanks to my wife and Tony and the group. I think that uh, I am a success despite the couple of slips that I've had because I'm sober today. Uh, I look back on them as 
as helpful things rather than hurtful things. Uh, so I'm a, now I try to keep my sobriety, I call it my sobriety index up. Uh, that's a word that, that I coined. Uh, sobriety index to me is dependent on three things. It's dependent on uh, physical health, how well am I, uh, how am I thinking, what's my mental attitude, and how am I spiritually, uh, those three things. I think that they're dependent on each other. Uh, I do not think you can stay sober by just getting the spiritual side of AA, NAA. I shouldn't be saying this, but I believe it, truly. I think you have to stay well physically, and you have to think clearly. If you aren't thinking clearly, you don't understand that you have a disease. It'll kill you. Uh, you have to understand that this is a disease that'll kill you. Uh, being sober isn't going to help you if you die of lung cancer because you smoke too damn much or of a heart disease. Being sober isn't going to help you if you eat a bad diet and have a high cholesterol and clog all your arteries up. It's not going to help you a damn bit. Uh, so I've been watching my cholesterol lately. I've got it under 200 now, and I think about it because uh, I've just recently retired, moved to Virginia, and there's no need doing all of this. I'm going to go down there and kick the bucket next week. Uh, <laughs> I've worked my tail off the past two years uh, getting my house ready to sell in Marstown. I've painted every room in it, as Tony knows. I've worked, worked my tail off, and then I worried about selling it, and then I, we worried about planning a new house, which my wife changed the plans of about 20 times. And uh, it took us a year to build, and, uh, but we're in it now, and uh, this is good. But I can't do anything about it. I can't work in the yard if I'm not well physically. So I think that's an important thing. Uh, I have to keep abreast of the literature on alcoholism. I have to, I've been reading more and more about the genetic side of it, and I fully believe that this is true because my own father was alcoholic, although he lived to be 96. Uh, his father died of alcoholism, and my father didn't start drinking until he was 60. But he lost control all the time and my mother would give him hell. He would lose control, and then finally she cut him down to one drink a day uh, when he was 80 or 85. But uh, he was really alcoholic <laughs> and an uh, elder in the church and everything else. But uh, I have two children that are alcoholic out of four and maybe three that are alcoholic. Yeah. And uh, I don't think there's anything that that I did that caused my alcoholism. I think it was there, lying, just waiting for me. And it sure got me. <laughs> it sure did. Uh, what the hell else, Seal? You've got such a well-organized meeting here today, Seal. Uh, that's about all I can. That's about all I can say here. It's a. It's a pleasure to see all of you here. And uh, if I helped any one of you. Uh, it was worth boring the rest of you. Thank you. <laughs> and I've been going to meetings ever since, enjoying them.
most of the time. After I'd been sober seven years, I retired from pediatrics and took up treating drunks in a detox unit. Moved up state. It's very similar, you know. You can't, you can't get a history from the patient. You have to ask the family, just like in pediatrics, and also they'd cry a lot. I keep coming home and telling Phil about my old ladies I have on my detox unit, and he laughs at me because most of them are younger than I am. But I can tell them how I was 54 when I got sober. They all think they're too old to get sober. Nobody's too old to get sober or too dumb. I learned a lot from John Mooney, too, who used to say, it doesn't take much brains to stay sober, just all you have. <laughs> and he also told me, don't think you can stay sober working in the field and that you don't need meetings because if anything, working in the field will drive you to drink. And that's certainly true. I need a lot of meetings. Sometimes I'm sick and tired of alcoholics and never want to see another one. After a hard day's work with people in denial, but uh, then you go to a meeting, you see people who aren't in denial and really want to get better. <laughs> so that cheers me up. And I'm very glad to be here and see you all, especially Bill. Thanks, Bill. Mary, and I'm an alcoholic. And I don't know about the rest of you all, but I think it's wonderful to be this age. I think this is the most comfortable in sobriety or any time in my life I've been. Um, I haven't had a drink since... February the 5th, 1973. And uh, Jean's gone now, but I really just told that date because in Texas they say if you don't give your sobriety date, maybe you don't have one. 